Ready? Yep. Welcome everyone to another podcast of design theory and methodology. Today we will be talking about metaphors and the way we can use metaphors in design. Uh, and therefore I'm interviewing uh, Najle Gila today. Najle is a, a researcher at the Amsterdam University of Applied Sciences. Before that she was a, a poet postdoc here in Delft mm -hmm. uh, and she also did her PhD here in Delft. Yeah. Uh, welcome Nasli. Thank you so much. <laughs> so you wrote uh, a thesis which we have uh, on the table here today. It's called Metaphors We Design By, the use of metaphors in product design. So I'm, I'm curious where does that title come from? Yeah, it is actually a reference to the very seminal work of Lakoff and Johnson. Like uh, it is a metaphor we live by, and uh, and it, the main message of the book about, is about like how prominent metaphors in like in the way of our thinking. So actually, we understand abstract concepts by metaphorical thinking, and this is something we have as an innate ability. Mm -hmm. um, so that is, I wanted to refer okay. to that book, yes. basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> First question is, uh, what is a metaphor <laughs> and why is it relevant to designers? Yeah, uh, metaphor is an, actually an association between two things and mainly concepts, let's say. Um, and what you do is that you use properties of one concept to define the properties of another. Mm -hmm. So what this means, let's take a, like, of course, it is very fundamental in the language. Mm -hmm. So let's start with a language example. For example, you say that uh, every child is a snowflake. So mm -hmm. what you are doing is that you are trying to use the properties of a snowflake to emphasize a property of a child, which in this case, probably unique or delicate or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so the same idea you can also use in design and actually designers use them really a lot. Uh, so like uh, I can make a cup, let's say, look like a bird, which is a really not a very good metaphor, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but in order to emphasize something about this special cup. Mm -hmm. uh, and designers really use these like references to distinct entities in order to like uh, make their design communicate a message, mm -hmm. let's say, yeah. So you take properties for one concept or thing and then you apply to another thing and, yeah. and if we're looking at design you're saying well we're taking the properties of this concept and we're applying it to a product, product yeah. so to yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what is a what is a good metaphor? Yeah, so that is actually what uh, we have been trying to reveal in my thesis. Yeah. And we did a couple of studies about it. And one of the like um, important properties is that your metaphor, the idea behind it, let's say, should obviously come from a novel association. But this association should still make sense. That is one of the criteria. So what does it, this mean? Let's say it's one of the examples I use, but let's say you are designing a garlic press mm -hmm. and you make it look like garlic. So mm -hmm. th this is like a not mind blowing, as <laughs> you yeah. might say, because yeah. it's something very obvious, yeah. but it makes sense. So this is like a one extreme. So then in that case, the metaphors become a bit dull. The other case would be something really you're designing a garlic press that looks like a 
microphone, for yeah. example, which yeah. then this doesn't make sense. What is the relationship? So then, uh, so maybe it's novel, but you cannot understand. Mm -hmm. So we say that you should really try to strike a balance between novelty and making sense, appropriateness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is about the idea behind the metaphor and also the way that you put something, this reference physically in the form of the product, you also need to like uh, find a balance. So mm -hmm. if you really make this garlic press literally look like a garlic, let's say the same size, the same texture, color, it start to become a really very like a gadgety or a bit mm -hmm. kitschy. So you shouldn't, when you are like applying that form, you should try to abstract this as much as possible but still make the reference identifiable. And through some experiments, we also validated the most aesthetic metaphors that you, there's a balance between subtlety of the reference, but still identifiable referencing should be there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so these are the, I would say, two main components of a good metaphor. Mm -hmm. And also one more thing. So like uh, we use usually as designers metaphors to communicate a meaning from the through the product. So let's say that I want to communicate that this chair that I'm sitting is a very light chair. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, I, I can use a metaphor to convey this lightness. Mm -hmm. And I can think of what are the light things and make this like a property, like, a, like I can communicate it prominently. So I can use, for example, a feather is something light or a, like a cloud is something light or a bubble is mm -hmm. something light. So I should choose a good, source mm -hmm. that communicates this lightness in a very like a prominent way then I can carry it to the design of the chair mm -hmm. so that's another thing of a good metaphor that what you are referencing should be a good yeah. <laughs> uh, like fit, fit. Yeah. exactly yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that makes sense so did you did you study also if kind of design practitioners use metaphors and how they use it um, I had one study that I was comparing the behavior of expert designers with mm -hmm. the novice designers and novice meaning that are second year uh, design students yeah. and also expert designers were somewhere between I think 10 to 20 years of different experience in the field. Of course this doesn't mean that they are better or worse of yes. course but just yeah. in terms of I think uh, how they can navigate in, yes. in that world and uh, what we have seen is that expert designers are much more like a quick and also maybe better to find this like a, I was a novel yet appropriate associations I think they are like a really able to see connections between distinct things a bit more quicker than mm -hmm. the novices mm -hmm. which means that this is a, I think maybe a skill that you can actually practice and gain through time mm -hmm. to like a, the more like experience you gain in designing you are better at noticing connections between these things, things to make your design more stronger and richer. Yeah. So you're saying that the, the more experienced designers, they are very quick at kind of recognizing these, these connections or mm -hmm. these patterns. So if I'm a, a design student and I want to learn how to um, work with metaphors, how would you suggest they get started? Oh, I yeah. think like a really explicitly trying to build connections between things and you can really try to for example if you are more trying to solve a sort of an engineering problem let's say trying to solve a mechanism create a mechanism mm -hmm. uh, for a product you might try to look at like uh, in which other products or this uh, 
things that this mechanism can be used. Mm -hmm. So in the Delft design guide, we had an example. If you are designing a new ventilation system, maybe a termite mound, the mm -hmm. way that they build their mounds and how they like um, these ants make the air circulate can yeah. be quite a good inspiration for your ventilation system mechanism. So you might really try to look at nature oh, <laughs> or yeah. other domains where the similar problems are solved. Um, there are some methods actually, for example, synectics is a method uh, that you explicitly look for connections mm -hmm. uh, in with other things. So, so you're saying that um, um, you start start looking in other domains, for example, uh, and nature. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that designers have a certain preference, maybe, for for certain domains? That there are certain designers who work a lot with nature, for example. Um, I think I cannot generalize. I think nature is usually really rich place to look mm -hmm. for sources mm -hmm. but also it doesn't necessarily have to be it is i think a metaphor is something very like subjective but also it comes to you in a very natural way i i don't really know if designers always start sit at the table saying that okay today i will use a metaphor no, no it really <laughs> comes to them more like a naturally when mm. they are looking for solutions i yeah. would say uh, and once they have this like idea that oh, actually these things are similar and maybe I can integrate, get inspi inspiration for that, from that, then I think my advice would be starting from that moment and try to met make that metaphor stronger by trying to make the form a bit more subtle and a bit more like elegant and try to not to make that association very explicit. Uh, so if you're designing a garlic press, you're still designing the garlic press, not yeah. the garlic. Uh, so you should really try to like be more mindful about these kind of aesthetic decisions that you're taking. Um, yeah, that would be my advice. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah so still quite... Um, uh, challenging, I guess, for a novice designer, if if we're saying, well, you know, metaphors they come naturally, <laughs> <laughs> but they do yeah. really, yeah. like uh, because, like I said in this study that I worked, like I think maybe like forty novice designers, yeah. and I really didn't have to explain to anyone what a metaphor is or how they should put it in their products. They all knew when I told them, okay, your task is to make a the, using your design a reference to another entity, yeah. and they all created yes. still quite good uh, yeah. things out of this so it's an innate quality I yeah. think yeah I have a, another question um, so you've been talking about the application of metaphors to uh, the design of products have you also uh, looked into uh, how designers use metaphors in in problem framing uh, uh, not in my work, but there's really quite a big body of knowledge in that field, of course, because metaphor or like analogical thinking, let's say, is one of the, I think, foundations for creativity and creative thinking process. Mm -hmm. So there's really like a, a, definitely a lot of work in that in the like a psychology literature, for example, my like a, in that case, let's say you can really use metaphor or analogies to solve a design problem or to like to frame your problem what you're dealing with but at the end we don't necessarily have to see that metaphor in the way that you executed your product design so you more use it to have a start of your problem to identify what you're dealing with yes. and then you let it aside so it's more like something for a designer to 
help himself or herself. Yeah. So there is like a that is definitely a very valuable tool. Uh, my work is more about the like metaphors that we actually see at the end of the yes. way that the product has been executed. Yes. More about the aesthetics and the, uh, the meaning conveyed yeah. through the product. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's very clear. So you just told me that um, after your PhD, you did a, a, a postdoc work here and then you moved to uh, the University of Applied uh, Sciences in Amsterdam. Do you uh, still use metaphors in your, in your current work? Uh, not in the way that I have been using them during my PhD, but uh, actually, like with the last topic that we were talking about, now my work is a bit more about smart products and designing them for the empowerments in terms of health empowerment and yeah. uh, to make people be able to deal better with the difficult situations and to identify the current status of the how product uh, smart products are right now perceived. I used three metaphors yeah. actually in yeah. one of the papers. So the, some of the smart products are more like collectors. I call them just collect data and present this data back to you and it's up to you to what you want to do with it. Some smart products are actors, I yeah. call. So they based on this data, they make an intervention on your life. Yeah. And so you have to negotiate with them and yeah. act on yeah. that data. And the last uh, type of metaphor was uh, creators I call them so like uh, these products are really very like a strong agents in the sense that with the data they even create like um, um, yeah it's a bit futuristic scenario but like some additions on themselves or something so I have collector actor and creator type of metaphors to categorize smart smart products ah. so it's really helped me to kind of uh, provide an overview of course it's not like I'm actively using them to design but it helped me to frame a bit yeah, <laughs> what yeah. I have been dealing yes. with. Yeah. yeah, that's a great example, actually. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, thanks. My last question is, um, if, if students who are studying uh, design uh, want to know more about the use of metaphors, are there any particular resources you would like to uh, point them to? Um, yeah, like uh, there is quite, uh, again, uh, some work in the advertising and graphic design and they also obviously use metaphors quite a lot visual metaphors and most of the time the principles that we are dealing with are similar with that work so i'm happy to provide more references yes, and also lekoff and johnson's work that we started might be useful because it is really uh, especially for designing, let's say, intuitive interfaces or intuitive interactions, yeah. their work might be very valuable because they are basically point, uh, painting a picture of all the innate metaphorical associations we have in our heads for as human beings. For example, if something is more, we associate it with up. So yes. like uh, it's very something basic and obvious, but when you're designing, let's say, interfaces, you have to put a button that is yes. like a more into the up of something else. Yeah. So these kind of, uh, they are really nice things that you can integrate in your like uh, intuitive designs. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm also happy to provide it yes. as a <laughs> resource. That's a, great, that's a great suggestion. Uh, we will put those in the, in yeah. the show notes as well. Okay, thank you very much. Oh, it's Nasir. really my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks. So that was the interview with Nazlin. After the interview, I thought I was really interested to know a little bit more about how designers use metaphors, how they think about using metaphors. So I also went out and I interviewed 
to designers and ask them if they use metaphors in their design process. So the first designer is René Schuffeleurs. René Schuffeleurs is a social designer. Hi, René. So I'm making a podcast about uh, the use of metaphors in design. Yes. Do you ever use metaphors in your design? Yes, um, I think uh, I, I use them a, a lot, but it's more really intuitive and uh, almost, well, you, you just do it and you don't think about it anymore. I've been working for a social housing corporation and, well, they wanted to, to, uh, to come up with a new, um, uh, to, to make it more social and uh, so that people would meet each other. But then I thought, well, you know, you can make it also like a pop-off kind of thing and we use containers, we are in the harbor that's maybe more literally that we translated this into a pop-up area in the middle of these three flats where we were working to make a, a, just a pop-up thing where people could gather and uh, and it was for them it was totally new because they were thinking in a fixed way yes just like uh, we have to uh, rebuild things permanently Okay. By thinking of pop-up, it was uh, more convenient for them, and yes. then they were able to yeah. think in a different way. It opened yes. up the, the the design space. Yeah. So a pop-up as a, a, a temporary meeting space. Exactly. Um, and then yes. you use the shipping containers to actually make turn that into. Yes, a because design. it was in Rotterdam, yeah. so with the harbor city. Ah. So it's really nice to use this. So the, oh, there's another metaphor in there in that you use the the identity of Rotterdam as a as a, as a large port. Yes, uh, exactly. In the in the shipping containers. Yes, yes. yes. So and that it's well, uh, they, they come and they go. Yeah. So uh, and you can put more of them. You could. Uh, you can add things, you yeah. can add functionalities, yeah. and yeah. well, so uh, that was really nice. The second designer is Willem Mees van der Bel. Willem is a designer of uh, medical devices, and I also asked Willem the question if he's using metaphors at all in his design process. So Willem, do you ever use metaphors in your design process? Yes, we do. Uh, we've been using metaphors for a while now, and uh, we're using them to uh, identify new opportunities. Can you give an example of that? So we're using metaphors, for example, when we're trying to create insights in, on one hand, what's meaningful to people, and then try to understand those feelings and insights better. So, for example, we were looking for improved ways to deal with um, medical equipment. And, for example, when you, um, you're a technician in the radiology lab, a radiographer, um, the machines every year are introduced with more and more functions. The first reaction for designers to keep them safe and user-friendly is to remove functions. But of course, the radiographers wish to have access to all those functionalities. And we also were trying to use technology to, um, to actually have the machine automate the process. But this was a bigger threat for the radiographers because um, basically the machine was taking over their job. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was not appreciated. <laughs> so we were looking for metaphors and Rather than the machine taking over the whole procedure, the, the radiographers also were very worried that um, the care for the patient was being jeopardized. So they said, I, I want to, you know, 
I'm responsible for the patient's care and health, and I, I really would like to be in control there. And then we said, okay, where can we find situations where technology is helping us, but you're not losing control? And one of the metaphors we discussed was, for example, when you drive your car and you plan a route, you're using your GPS system, your navigator. And the navigator, you tell the system where you would like to go. The navigator plots a route and it tells you to go straight, but if you want to turn right, you can. And when you turn right, it doesn't get upset and it doesn't really um, correct you. It actually changes the route, plots a new route and takes it from there. And that's also something that we introduced in the medical device. And we came up with a, a medical device that doesn't show all the functionalities and features on the device interface. So usability and safety is improved, but it's still up to the radiographer or the technician to plot the route. So basically set where you would like to go. And then the system proposes steps that you go through and offers you the tools and, and buttons that you need. But if you would like to adjust the route and use different functions, you can. And then a different route is plotted, basically. That's a great example. So after interviewing Nasle, René and Willem, I went back to the studio here in Delft to meet Peter to discuss what I had learned. And we started out with discussing the interview with Nasle Jilla. So that was the interview with Nasle. Peter, what did you think? I thought it was a really good interview, actually. I kind of liked, um, I liked the way that she described the kind of theory of metaphor yeah. and the, the sort of different application areas. I mean, it's a slippery concept in some ways, isn't it? Because it sort of applies in solutions, but it also applies in the process of producing yes. solutions. I think, the, I think the main thing that she described quite well is a metaphor is a means for seeing something as something else. Yeah. And I think in the design process, I mean, we've talked about framing in other podcasts, metaphor is the real, the real engine of creativity in the sense that it's the only way that you can go forward in some ways, yeah. that, that you replace one concept with another concept. But yeah. how do you get there? It's, yeah. like, it's sort of, to use a metaphor, it's like a stepping stone kind of metaphor. You've got to sort of get move from concept to concept and a metaphor kind of does that for you yeah yeah i think maybe that's a, a nice thing to talk a little bit further about um, because nasley mentioned this but most of her research of course was about how metaphors can be used to express a certain meaning in in, in, a, in a product uh, and i think this creative aspect of using metaphors in a design process and in problem framing is is also a very interesting aspect of design um, in fact, it's uh, it's the topic of one of my PhD uh, students, uh, Megan Piswathun. She really looked into that creative process and uh, she calls it the, the creative leap because Nasda was also talking about how, you know, expert designers, these metaphors kind of naturally mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, come yeah. to them. And she really tried to understand where they come where from, they, they okay. come from yeah. um, and, and to what extent that is kind of natural. And what she found, and I think Nasli also uh, explains this, is that the metaphors, they usually come from another experience. Yeah. So, so basically what happens is we're, we're encountering this design situation. We have a certain experience of that design situation. And somehow there's a pattern in this design situation that we recognize 
from another uh, experience, experience, yeah. uh, experience we've had. And that's kind of how that connects. Yeah. And what Megan saw in her research was she basically looked at designers going through a design process and then at a certain stage they would start using metaphors and, and, and try to find out, you know, what was happening there. And she said, well, there's two, two basically two different cases. One is the case where a designer explicitly start looking for a metaphor and the other cases where that happens more, kind of more intuitively. So the first case is related to, for example, what uh, Willem was explaining. And he was saying that they were actually looking to explain a certain experience through a metaphor. So he mentions the example of the radiologist. They want, wanted to stay in control, but still wanted to be able to do all those other things. And then they were sort of looking like, what is the situation where you're really in control? Uh, but you still get support and then they got to the idea of a driver in a car and that then eventually led them to uh, using this metaphor of a navigation system so it was very very much for them an explicit design process yeah i i mean i think i think the idea of experience generating uh, metaphors i yeah. think that's a, an important thing because a few of the students have asked about where do we get how do you get experience where yes. do you get experience yeah. from and yeah. how do you i guess how do you use experience yes. yeah. and i think nazi was talking about nature yes. as, a, as a source of metaphors and yeah. i think it sort of relates to the theory in that you have a source of metaphors and a target for the metaphor i yeah. think there's a kind of theory of yeah. metaphor there but the idea that you know you only have to walk and look around in nature to find a metaphor yeah. so it's a sort of although that's an experience it's not necessarily dependent on having a lot of experience. So it's sort of knowing where to look for metaphors and knowing knowing how to use them in your process. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I tend to think of, you know, it helps if you have kind of diverse experiences and kind of look beyond your core domain. So as a designer, don't just look within the domain of products, but look, for example, in nature. But you're right that it's also about using those experiences and seeing them as a source. Yeah, I also I I, I right at the end there, Nasli, there was a couple of things. One of the things was was she was talking about using metaphors as a sort of way to think about your process, but that that doesn't necessarily appear in the product at the end of the process. And I, the image that conjured up is sort of building scaffolding around a building and then erecting the building and then taking the scaffolding down afterwards so the metaphor is a sort of scaffold that helps you get through the the process somehow the mm -hmm. design process mm -hmm. and the other thing was that she referenced Glackoff and Johnson which is is one of the books that I have on my my shelves and is a really nice book and I I look back at it after the uh, the interview and there's some really nice ways of tying everyday experience to metaphor so she she referenced the idea of more being up yeah but up and down is a spatial metaphor that we use for lots and lots of things yes. and they mentioned you know when we're happy we're up yeah. when we're healthy we're up when we're in control we're up and yeah. one of the things they mentioned is that rational is up and emotional is down tying that idea of emotion and rationality to a spatial metaphor of being yeah. up or up or being down is, is, is quite interesting in the light of the discussions that we've had about rational processes and co-evolutional processes. Yeah, I, I also, I, I like the Morris up uh, connection. I also know that from Megan's research, because I was like, well, of course Morris, Morris up. What are you talking about? Of course. But it's actually, it's not. If you think about it, there's no logical reason why more should be up. Uh, and Megan explains, she said, well, you know, for example, if you fill a glass of water, then more water means that the water level goes up. So that's a way that we connect more is up. And it's so ingrained 
in, in our lang- in our language in, in our the way language the way as well. we think about ourselves and our yeah. and our concepts that that until it's pointed out you you just don't realize that you're doing these things no exactly but i think as a designer once you realize this you can really you can really make things more meaningful and yeah. and um, explore different kinds of metaphor and what they do in your process yeah this one other interesting thing that i'd like to mention which is what megan found with regard to the natural way that designers came up um, with um, with metaphors, and she connected this to the idea of uh, of image image schema. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with image schema, but image schema are basically um, patterns that underlie our experiences that make it possible for us to connect certain experiences that that seem to be quite different to each other. And so, for example, one of the uh, well-known image schema is the the path. So uh, there are lots of experiences in our life that we can see as um, as a path, which means it's a beginning and it's an mm-hmm. end, and it's mm-hmm. kind of interconnecting mm-hmm. parts. Um, so that can be um, a, a physical uh, pathway, but it can also be uh, a journey. You know, we go we go for a walk. It has a beginning and an end. And uh, there's one really great example that she found in a in a in an article by Kasakin, which which I will also uh, exp- um, uh, share. Uh, so Kasakin he describes this case of uh, it was an architecture student who wanted to to design um, a, a pathway in an urban space. And um, I'll read it out because because uh, I have it here. The design brief was for student designers to develop projects in a dense mixed-use neighborhood situated in a real city. The brief also requires students to describe the itinerary of the pathway and to define special spatial relationships between the dwellings and the public urban spaces. And this student then connected this to the experience of listening to Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, (laughs) (laughs) which doesn't seem like, you know, would not be something that I would have come up with. Uh, what Megan says, well, because it's a this 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 image schema of the path, you also find in listening to music. So listening to music also has a beginning and an and an end, and interconnected path. And this student is, has said, well, this Beethoven's Ninth Symphony apparently has a very specific melody. So it has different melodies that are connected to each other, um, and then the music kind of fades at certain points. And he used kind of all these characteristics of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. To then design this this pathway. Is that the symphony with the da 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 da? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, but there's kind of uh, all these drawings uh, here of, of of what that space and eventually linking the like. musical representation yeah. to yes. the physical representation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the, you really, you know, use that experience. And, and what I what I find interesting there is first of all that kind of this concept of an image schema seems to explain where the connection comes from so there's this pattern uh, of a pathway uh, you experience in listening to music but you also experience this pathway on literally on this pathway in this urban space and secondly that you need to have this experience of listening to you know Beethoven's Ninth Symphony in this case and then also using that experience to connect the two together to connect yeah, the two yeah. together so I guess that this uh, student really loves listening to classical music and really understands these patterns because if he didn't understand the melody, then he wouldn't be able to actually you know, translate so again, it into something meaningful. Again, drawing on an experience that you've had, yeah. you know, which is not necessarily that you have expertise in something, it's just something that you enjoy doing yes. that, you can, that you can draw on. Yeah, exactly. There was an, another, another reference, I mean, the idea of sort of music being a source of metaphors and and the idea of spatial metaphors too. There's um, 
a researcher called Barbara Tversky, and she used to come up with a recent book called Mind in Motion, How Action Shapes Thought. Mm -hmm. And it's all about how the, the way we experience space and the way our bodies mm -hmm. experience moving mm -hmm. is a much richer source of ideas and thoughts and really how we think about ourselves yeah. than um, particularly language-based sort yeah. of analysis of, yeah. of, of what we do. It's a really, really interesting book and I think it adds to the Lakoff and Johnson in a really nice way. And she's, she's also done studies of designers too. So yeah. I think that's partly where she gets this yeah. idea from that yeah. the experiential nature of, yeah. of people really helps to, yeah. to bring that into kind yeah. of creative processes and design processes. You mean processes. kind of our bodily experience? It fits better with how we think in a sense that we yeah. think when, we, when, when we're in motion, we wave our yeah. hand, I'm waving my hands around now, you know, yeah. it helps me to, to articulate things. Yes. So it's much more about thinking as a way of sort of performing th yeah. than simply being an intellectual process where yes. I just speak words to yeah. you and there's no, there's, there's no movement. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast about metaphors. We heard Nasli Jilla talk about the use of metaphors in designing meaningful products. And we heard René Schuffleurs from Reshuffle and Willem Mees van der Bel from IDE Group talk about how they use metaphors in their design process. I would like to thank them all for sharing their expertise and experience with us. If you would like to know more about what has been discussed, please have a look at the show notes. There are a number of resources there that you might be interested to look at or listen to. This was another podcast in the Design Theory and Methodology series, hosted by Peter Lloyd and myself, Mieke van der Bel.